0: Hi, everyone. It's Joey Remini from SeekingBalance.com.au. Today, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to have a social disability and and, um, comparing that against the medical disability model and also the concept of internalized ableism. And these are pretty big, meaty topics, but really worth mentioning and talking about. And I'd love to hear any of your reflections in our Facebook group or on our live Rocksteady Group calls. But essentially, a medical disability model really looks at the person and the symptoms and the deficits and the disorders. And so it's it's sort of painting humans to be one specific type of thing. And then anyone who's outside of that category of not doing what apparently, quote unquote, a normal human should do, that person is then disabled and has a deficit and a disorder. So very obvious ones are, you know, if somebody doesn't have working legs or is missing a leg and therefore cannot walk, there's um, a disability there that they can't keep up with an ambient person with two functioning legs. I work with invisible symptoms and invisible conditions such as chronic tinnitus, dizziness and vertigo, and these can lead to very very debilitating disabilities where people cannot function and they may not be able to walk down the street and pick up their mail or go to a supermarket or function talking in a social group, but they appear normal on the outside. So these sort of invisible disabilities are next level confusing and can really be dismissed. So with the social disability model, it says, actually, there's nothing wrong with this person, whether they have one legs, two legs, you know, half a leg um, or a spinal injury, they can't walk. That doesn't make them deficient or disordered. They're a person with a different capacity and a different level of ability. And so it's our job as a social community to create accessibility it only becomes a disability, a social disability when there's no access. So that person who may have one leg or no legs or half a leg, whatever the situation is, they can still access the shops or the social engagement and the party, or they can still get out of their house, go down the street and pick up the mail if there's those accessibility resources and supports in place. So the difference between a medical disability model and a social disability model is the social disability model really takes into account the strengths, the competencies and the capacities and there's absolutely no shame or no hesitation to add supports in. Let's get a wheelchair or let's get prosthetic legs or let's make sure there's a really beautiful smooth driveway for easy access to the mailbox. Let's make sure there's wheelchair ramps or elevators, lifts, whatever is needed to access the social party, the supermarket. So then that person with the disability can really confidently be supported to do everything that they want and need to do, get the mail, go out and have a social engagement with friends, go down the street. When it comes to tinnitus, dizziness and vertigo, because these are very invisible conditions, people can't really see what's going on. A lot of the time my clients don't really understand what's going on for them, so they don't even necessarily know how to advocate for themselves and ask for what they need. It really falls very heavily generally into that medical disability model where they feel like they're deficient, and they feel like they're abnormal, and they feel like they're wrong. And this can then turn into this internalized ableism, which is a concept of assuming that all people should be a certain way and so if I cannot walk down the street and pick up my mail or if I can't go down to the shops or if I feel like I can't go and socialize in a group that I then internalize that into I'm weak I'm not good enough other people are stronger than me I should be better I'm lazy um, you know I'm incompetent so we make it about us and our value and our self-worth and our identity whereas The social disability model recognises, okay, this is hard for you. You've got really uh, sensitive ears and noises are really provoking for you and really difficult. So what we can do is if you know you're going to a noisy situation Here's some strategies that might help you. Here's some noise-canceling earmuffs or some hearing protection earplugs to use in certain environments that we know might aggravate your tinnitus and make your life harder. So we want to make this accessible for you, but we also want to give you tools to help you out. Um, and with dizziness and vertigo, it could be very busy situations and clutter, visual vertigo, your your it could be that many of my clients find computer screens triggering or crowds or, you know, supermarket aisles and train stations. So the question is, you know, can we even use online shopping and get delivery if that's one way to get that need met, be independent, be autonomous? Can we find quiet, quieter places to shop Can we find ways to build our proprioception and strengthen our bodily reflexes so that we're not afraid of falling? Do we need in certain situations to hold on to a trolley for stability? How can we advocate for ourselves so that A, our brain is not getting sensory overwhelm and overload? So how can we moderate that for ourselves and advocate in the community so the community is taking some responsibility and also being more inclusive? Some supermarkets actually have low lighting quiet hours where they have reduced noise, reduced lighting, and they're specific for people with sensory needs. And, you know, that's a step in the right direction that I'm actually not disabled if there are certain conditions that are comfortable for my brain. So I'm not overstimulated. Um, So, yeah, the social disability model says there's actually nothing wrong with that person, whether or not they're experiencing invisible pains and difficulties or invisible symptoms or whether they have physical disabilities and difficulties. As a community, we're looking at how we can change to make our world more accessible for you because we value you and we love you just as you are, and your differences matter to us, so we're going to respond to your sensitivities and your needs. So the social disability model is just really beautiful, inclusive, humane, humanitarian. The medical disability model, which is much more antiquated, it's more patriarchal, that's where it says, well, you're not functioning in this way as, quote, unquote, a normal human being would. Therefore, you have a deficit, you're abnormal, and I'm going to label you with this medical diagnostic label. So the um, the internalized ableism is something that we're really swimming in, that we're living in a world that's all about growth and striving and productivity and capitalism. And, you know, there's this real pressure to work long hours, to work more, to volunteer more, to participate, to, you know, just do, 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 grow, grow, grow. And as speaking for myself as an autistic woman, it was soul-destroyingly difficult for me to function in a university um, with the lights, with the crowds, with the people, with the expectations of how I had to work and where I had to be. And I wasn't necessarily getting enough solitude and quiet time and recuperation time. And I also didn't have any of the language to advocate for myself. I didn't understand that it was easier for other people. Um, I had no idea that I was being sort of overloaded and flooded with lots of sensory inputs and lots of executive function loading. Um, and so, little by little, I, I I stuck with it and I kept doing my best and telling myself that I should be better. And I, so there was all this internalized ableism that rather than me. Knowing that I was different and neurodivergent and highly sensitive and high detail processing, I didn't know any of that about myself. So I couldn't advocate for my special needs. So, what I did was I really removed myself from that system. And that system was taking me down that path of medical disability where I would have been burnt out, anxious, depressed, probably medicated, and given all of these medical labels, told I was hysterical or dramatic or sensitive. And, um, yeah, and this is what happens, and why I had so much empathy for chronic tinnitus, dizziness, and vertigo people, because they have they are often basically sent away, told there's no cure, Live with it, and here's some anti-anxieties, antidepressants, or you know, X,Y,Z medications. and it just it felt so wrong to me. So I removed myself from that cultural situation, that that social system. And I began working from home where I could have my own hours working online. I built my own educational platforms and I created a community of people that was much more neurodivergent friendly for both me and the participants of my Rocksteady community. And when I look at it, it's like, wow, I removed myself from a situation that would have put me into a place of disability and disorder and dysfunction and burnout. And I created... An environment because I could and I was privileged and educated and I, I had that capacity. Not everybody does and I really recognize that. But I enabled myself to monetize my gifts and skills by working at home, online, having a global community and actually creating a social and cultural environment that very much nurtured my sensitivities and prevented me from getting burnout or sensory overload or that executive function um, overload. And so in essence, I was able to create the social and cultural changes that I needed in my workplace by creating my own workplace. Um, And I think what we need to see more of in the world is more inclusive workplaces where people with sensitivities are not viewed as abnormal or wrong or belittled or expected to just keep up, that there is flexibility because many people, for example, um, with autism, they're highly gifted. They have a lot to offer the world in whatever is their special interest, but it can be just difficult to work at that nine to five um, open office sort of environment. They may work better with a lot of flexibility. Perhaps I'm working from home time, um, flexible hours, and also just having a lot of explicit transparency with communications in the workplace so that neurodivergent folks aren't at home having panic attacks and very anxious and stressing about what's expected of them in the workplace. So there's a lot of ways as a community and as a global community, we can be really open about ableism and that actually we all do have different capacities and that's okay. We all do have different brain and body connections and that's okay and while some people might be able to tolerate working nine to five beautifully for 20 or 30 years somebody else like me might might do it for six months and very quickly realize this is not working for me and my body type it's not working for my brain and i have to pull out and and get my needs met in other ways it'll be great to see moving forwards in the future that the in that the broader um social and societal constructs and infrastructures are able to openly talk about our differences and that things like autism are not hidden or ashamed that actually it's okay to be different it's deeply okay to be sensitive coming back to the chronic tinnitus dizziness and vertigo what i see in this internalized ableism and how it shows up and same with misophonia hyperacusis triple ts um and you know pretty much anyone with chronic symptoms of any form is there can be this internal script of, you know, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't feel this way. I should be able to do more. Why aren't I better yet? And we're really fighting what is our lived experience. And I think once we can uh, like identify with how we are and who we are and be okay with what we're able to do and what we're not able to do, and to have a really healthy sense of social disability which means there's nothing wrong with me i'm a beautiful contributor to the to the community as i am i don't need to be striving and chasing and keeping up with everybody else but what i do need to be able to participate in the world and be a part of the wider world is advocate for my sensitivities and for my needs and this is a really big part of the rock steady process so many people with um, chronic tinnitus dizziness and vertigo and so on. We'll be learning about their sensory loading and their sensory profile and how to navigate that and moderate inputs to help their body and brain feel more organized and centered and grounded. They're learning about executive function loading and how to automate, delegate, prioritize, eliminate, you know, just really noticing when there's too much going on for the brain, when is enough enough, and how can we really lovingly draw those supports in. I know I've spoken about this a little bit, but I know when I gave birth to my second son, I intuitively felt like I would need a lot of support. You know, I felt my body becoming very, very vulnerable, very, very porous. I felt my energy waning. I felt my capacity plummeting. And I spent quite a lot of money actually getting, you know, mental health checks, um, getting private midwives and doulas and having at-home support as much as possible with meals and cleaning and even gardening support. Like I just was so, so, so weak um, as all of my energy was really going into growing this baby, birthing this baby, and then full-time breastfeeding. And I held a lot of shame around that, and that is a classic example of internalised ableism. You know, I was questioning, like, why do I need so much support? Why is this costing me so much money when it doesn't? It's not like that for other women. Um, and of course, the flip side of that conversation is, it's so privileged, it's such a privilege that I could personally pay for that support for myself. And I'm really proud of myself for asking for that support and organizing that support. Um, I didn't know I was autistic at that point in my life, but I did know if I would pushed through and faked it and pretended that I was okay when I was just so deeply tender and vulnerable that I would have probably plummeted into some kind of medical medical condition or burnout. So it was a really important time for me to step into my sensitivities, get honest about my capacity, my resources, and really call upon my network, my community of people who are supporting and holding me and allowing me to do the work I do in the world and You know, part of it for me is I sleep a lot. I rest a lot. I need a lot of integration time. And I'm really, really fortunate um, with how I've had time and it's really been my special interest as an autistic woman on how I focus on the mind-body connection, the brain-body connections and getting the best out of the brain and body we're born with. So in summary, the medical disability model really looks at deficits and disorders in the individual, which can really um, feel very shaming. The social disability model looks at how can society do better to provide you access and supports for whatever it is about your life, your brain, and your body that is different. We celebrate you, we're curious about you, and we want to know how we can bolster and support you. And then internalized ableism is when we put pressure on ourselves to be like others and to meet this probably very unrealistic standard of perfection, which is perhaps that more medical model of how humans, quote unquote, should be, instead of recognizing actually I'm vulnerable, I'm tired, I need support, and all of that is okay. Or maybe I'm sensitive, I'm full, I'm cluttered, I'm traumatized right now, and I need a lot of integration time, and I need to call supports in, and that's okay. So understanding that difference does not mean disorder or deficit, and that having differences in our world is really a gift to the world, and the more we can learn from the neurodivergent community and be more inclusive, accepting, and curious, and that we can meet in the middle, as humans with lots of different capacity and lots of different abilities. I think that's how we all get the best um, for everyone. So I hope this has been useful for you to ponder. Um, I did have someone in my Rocksteady community recently sort of say how when they, and this comes up a lot actually, it's like they'll say, I have a good day, you know, my um, I'm feeling pretty good but then I get sort of swamped by this fear of what if my symptoms come back? What if what if I go downhill again? What if I deteriorate? And I was questioning whether that could be part of that internalised ableism at play, that there's this subconscious internal dialogue that I should be this way, I should perform at this level, I should look this way, I should act this way, I should feel this way, when actually when we become deeply authentic and connected to who and how we are in any given moment, we just are what we are and we feel what we feel and our capacity just is what it is. And the more we can support ourselves to recuperate, regenerate, integrate, metabolize, digest and um, be present with our sensitivities, with that honesty and that self-compassion, the better we'll get out of the brain and body we're born with. So, yeah, I think it's really A rich area of inquiry. And I'd love to talk more about this in our Rocksteady community live calls for all of us who are in the Rocksteady program and um, going through those modules. So it's a little bye for now. You can learn more about me and my community in seekingbalance.com.au.